Hey everybody, welcome to this month's Metal Misconduct. It's Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records, and as always, our good buddy Sean from NHL.com is here. What's going on, Sean? How you doing? Hey man, how are you? It's good to be back on the show again. Always, always. So this month we have special guest, former NFL legend and current music star, Kyle Turley. How you doing, Kyle? Uh, I'm good, brother. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> well, it's true, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> so, obviously, you know, we know you from your past as a football player. How did you end up getting into football? Um, well, I always loved football, obviously, growing up in America. Who didn't? And, uh, you know, I mean, there's only about 12 or 13 channels on the TV growing up, and I was the remote for my old man, and when the Cowboys played, that's what we watched. And uh, so, you know, I grew up a Cowboys fan, and Tony Dorsett and Danny White were my guys, and and then uh, we moved to Southern California and, uh, you know, quickly uh, became a Raider fan, and uh, Howie Long and all those guys were my greatest to watch, and, you know, uh, it, my, my football days came all together, uh, Unfortunately, not until my, uh, or rather fortunately, due to concussions and all that, my senior year of high school, where I finally decided uh, to give it a go. I grew up a Southern California surf and skate kid, and uh, summers weren't uh, uh, given to uh, the gridiron. They were given to the ocean. And uh, I decided my senior year I'd at least go out and try to get some Al Bundy stories out of it. <laughs> so that's a pretty fat, a little little late in life to kind of decide you want to be, football is your main thing, right? Yeah, for a lot of people that's late, you know. Um, I, I believe that, you know, personally after having gone through that and all, a lot of those other sports that I participated in, especially wrestling, uh, really prepared me for it um, more than anything. And um, it was a natural uh, thing for me to uh, to do once I stepped foot on the football field, um, you know, having all that knowledge uh, gained from the wrestling room on balance, coordination, and uh, all that was uh, easy to transfer into the game of football in that I loved football. I understood it. And uh, uh, you know, after that, it was just a matter of just going out there and playing ball and uh, everything else took care of itself. But uh, to a lot of people, that is uh, late in the game, unfortunately, because we need to retool that thought. Uh, that, that shouldn't be the case. Did you did you feel fresher when, you know, obviously guys start playing football when they're six, seven, eight years old, Pop Warner, and by the time they get to college or pros, they're, they're somewhat burnt down on it. Did you get a sense when you were around all those guys that you were a little fresher because of the way you kind of came into it? No doubt. I mean, I saw guys, friends of mine that had serious injuries in high school, you know, blowing knees out and getting concussions and things. And uh, it, it was, uh, uh, you know, something that I didn't really feel like taking part of, um, you know, like, uh, aside from the hot summers out in the valley where I grew up outside Los Angeles, it was that uh, I didn't want to get you know, hurt, and I didn't. I didn't feel like uh, you know my body was ready to take that beating at the time. And you know, people uh, put their kids in these situations. I think far too early uh, in such a violent game. I mean, the sport of football inherently is just unbelievably violent, and uh, on any given play, a serious injury and potential death can happen, and uh, it has unfortunately in too many cases. Did you enjoy playing football, especially the pro level? 
Oh, I love it. Love it still to this day. Love the game of football. And, you know, I'm, I'm a very outspoken, as a lot of people know, about, uh, you know, trying to retool the game of football and the mindset around it, especially in dealing with kids uh, and, you know, the rules of the game and enforcing those things a little bit better, but more so enforcing the way players are taken care of uh, and this whole mentality of pushing through it. Um, you know, that, that has uh, been the root of... Uh, the evils that have come about in the game of football and where we see it today and so many people uh, are having such a tough time dealing with the aftermath of it. Not just guys that spent uh, you know, long careers in the National Football League. Uh, there's a lot of kids out there from the high schools that uh, can attest to that as well and uh, you know, grew up from those Pop Warner days and basically played football for 10 years before even getting out of high school. And um, it's a brutal game. It, uh, it takes an unbelievable toll on your body, and uh, I can attest to that for sure. Do you, do you feel like it's, it's changed at all? I know since you've retired, you've kind of spoken out about some of the things, concussions, painkillers, all those kind of things. And when you look at the game today, do you, do you feel it's any different at all? Um, very different because they're being forced to. Unfortunately, it's uh, been a reactive uh, process instead of proactive and getting the rules enforced a bit better and uh, players to understand, coaches and training staffs to understand, the NFL to understand that it's important that they pay attention to these injuries and address them properly. And uh, Unfortunately, it's gone for too long that we haven't. And so I think things are changing because they're they're having to change uh, thanks to social media and uh, all the statistics that are available to everyone out there for those people to learn about and uh, how dangerous this game really is. This game doesn't have to be that dangerous if we address these injuries uh, when they occur and uh, allow them to heal. Because uh, injury can happen, you know, walking out your house. Uh, you can trip off the, the curb or whatever. And, you know, things can happen that are bad. But uh, in football, when that happens, uh, you're told, that's why God gave you two legs and get back out there and, uh, you know, walk it off uh, or tape it up. And, um, you know, uh, you dislocate fingers uh, in basketball, uh, you got guaranteed contracts and they got to sit you down. Uh, in football, you know, uh, that's, uh, you got one right next to it to tape it to, so get back in there. So let's put you in charge of the NFL for a while. What would you do to try to help limit injuries, especially, I think, headshots, which are really a big problem? Well, and dealing with concussions, you know, they're just basically grazing the surface here on how to deal with this properly. You, know, you still got guys like RG3 being allowed to go back after a serious concussion, after one week, being allowed to participate in the, uh, an NFL game where individuals that are 250-plus pounds uh, on up to 350 pounds, running at unbelievable speeds, and collision rates, uh, to put a guy like that in such a young young career, uh, just started, and he's a franchise guy, that was just unbelievably ridiculous to me. Give him at least one more week. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that can be done. You know, they still, I think just last year, because of the Dealman situation in San Diego, and that he had to retire from his concussion situation, and how they totally dropped the ball on that uh, with the Chargers, uh, you know, it, it, they finally have now a guy watching from up in the booth for concussions and watching replays and things like that, where you get to see the, the slow motion hits, and that a guy did, oh, he lost consciousness right there, but he popped back up. He's got a 
major concussion. Now, things that uh, can be done nowadays with uh, technology and how we see the game, and there's cameras everywhere, there's no reason why players shouldn't be uh, allowed to heal these injuries properly, and these injuries shouldn't be known when they happen. Uh, I knew it when it was going on. I could tell when a guy was uh, out there under concussion and playing you know, myself as well. Uh, there's a lot of things they can do still more so in uh, addressing these things. And the CDC, the Academy of Neurology, came out with guidelines back in the 80s that they still do not adhere to uh, based upon grades of concussions. And uh, you know, players are being still let back too soon. So in concussions specifically, uh, it's just basically a time factor. And then obviously the proper cognitive tests to assure that these players are indeed ready to uh, you know, go back out there mentally. Um, you know, because why would you want an individual to go out and play in a game that you really want to win? The he is behind the eight ball, if you will, uh, in, in, in mentally. Uh, it, it baffles me still to this day. Is it, but is it sometimes that players that you know seem almost to be their own worst enemy? Like I, watching the Jet game this week, it looked like Sean Green was knocked out cold, and then he's back in in the fourth quarter. I mean, obviously he said at some point, "Hey, I'll go back in." Um, and you know, you want to be there for your team. You want to be there for your teammates. You know, is there kind of a fine line that needs to be walked there? Well, as a, a player, once you're concussed, you don't have uh, a proper mindset to make decisions. Uh, that's the part of the brain that has been affected, and you don't know what's happening. You, if you have a serious concussion, uh, I mean, personally, I've been in that situation to where I didn't remember what happened for the rest of the game. And uh, so how could I have made that decision consciously? And uh, obviously, I wasn't there. Uh, and guys like him and others, I mean, you look at the old uh, 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 quotes from guys like Bill Romanowski who said, oh, I knew I played with concussions all the time. You know, I, I went into, uh, uh, you know, remote control mode here or, or autopilot and my body just took over because it knew what to do. And that's why they need to have neurologists qualified on the sidelines. I don't believe they have that still to this day. They only have orthopedics on the sideline and general doctors, general medicine practitioners that are bought and paid for by the teams and protected under the collective bargaining agreements that our union uh, has unfortunately continued to agree to where clubs and doctors that work for clubs are completely protected under that uh, collective bargaining agreement. And I have an individual, a buddy of mine, who uh, works for a company that uh, services NFL teams to go around and look for doctors. And uh, he said the meetings he's been in have been unbelievably sickening to him to sit there and listen to these doctors say, we will do whatever you need us to do to keep our players out on the field. So... After the game, like after you, you retire, for example, do you think the league is doing enough to help players? Because you're seeing so many of these problems that have happened after they retire, even more so when you're playing. Do you think they're doing enough for that or a lot more can be done? Um, definitely a lot more can be done. I mean, there is still to this day is no human resource person in the National Football League. When you uh, are you know, released and you're retired from football, uh, you're on your own. You have to figure out uh, you know, your, your benefits 
and all these other things and how to get them and there's nobody there to assist you in your transition after football. It's pretty much the general public's feeling majority and pretty much what I get is like, ah, you guys played football for King's Ransom and, you know, big deal, screw you guys, made millions of dollars. Well, the reality is the majority of guys don't. The reality is the majority of guys still to this day only enjoy a three and a half year career and the vested status to become eligible for benefits is four years of being vested as a player in the National Football League. And so, obviously, I don't think it takes a mathematician to figure that out, in that there is a, a major flaw in the system, and that it is set up to uh, basically, obviously, keep the revolving door open, and National Football League still enjoying non-guaranteed contracts where these uh, owners and the teams do not have any obligation outside of those signing bonuses to the players. And uh, there's only a handful of guys that are making that big money on each team. Obviously, you're a big music fan too. When uh, when did you first start getting into music, and how how much of a role did that play, like in your early life? Man, you know, I mean, hell, growing up in America, you're exposed to everything, and uh, you know, I grew up in an unbelievable era of time, and uh, you know, from uh, having uh, being a youth in the early uh, '80s, I and mean, I was born in '75, so by the time it was early '80s, and from you know, all the the, the, the breakdancing music that came out and took fads and the rock that was, you know, just going nuts and then the metal just hit the scene. I mean, I remember being seven years old up in Moses Lake, Washington, a little farm town and seeing a Quiet Riot CD with, uh, you know, the street jacket and the mask on and I'm just going, oh my God, this is awesome. You know, and uh, I mean, I moved to Southern California when I was 10 and uh, to, the, to the concrete jungle, and, um, you know, the huge scene of metal continued to grow, as well know, and we're a major component of, and, uh, uh, and the punk rock scene, I, I became friends with buddies of mine that were in bands, and so I go to concerts all the time, and Southern California was, you know, shows every day, every weekend, every night were going on, and uh, music was huge, not like it is. Um, you know, now I guess cool, wish you wash you go have the, the freedom ability to do things like you did back then and throw gigs here and there or wherever. And we were going to warehouse gigs and, and, uh, you know, throwing down punk rock shows. And you can't do those things out there. You've got liability issues, all these different things and whatnot. And, uh, so I, I grew up in a killer era of time and, uh, a lot of new music. And then, uh, you know, the old school music I did grow up with from my old man being a truck driver and the farmer and, uh, in Southern rock and country. Um, and fused all that, just continued to grow. And then when I got in the NFL, I took that opportunity to say, hey, man, I can get in some back doors here and, uh, you know, get behind the scenes. And I took every advantage I could of that and, you know, was uh, welcomed into the fold by all of my idols growing up from Panter and Slayer and Sepultura and Soulfly and, and uh, everybody in between, man, from the Deftones and, uh, you know, they go on and on. And all these cats, uh, you know, I was able to meet and bring them all gifts from the ASO and get backstage and uh, became fast friends. And then I just grew an unbelievable love for the business as well. What was the, what was the best uh, perk, so to speak, you got from being a football player music-wise? Um, uh, I got to uh, smoke a bowl with Tom Araya in the back of Slayer's tour bus. That is, my, uh, <laughs> nice. that was, 
that was a, a crowning moment um, of uh, my life that uh, I will forever cherish. And he's not even the big uh, the big football fan like Carrie and Jeff are the big football fans in that. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I know, yeah, I know. And uh, it was just because they're all cool people, you know. They're all driven driven people, and uh, it was awesome to be around them. I've had some unbelievable experiences. Uh, you know, I was uh, had opportunities to get on uh, some of Down's records, and they're recording down there in Louisiana. Um, you know, they put me in their films and stuff that they toured around with and showed on screen. Uh, you know, before their shows, me lifting up Kurt Weinstein when I was, you know, 310 pounds and against <laughs> the world and, and uh, pinning him up against the wall, you know. It's, I've had some awesome experiences that uh, my football career allowed me to dip into the music world with. And um, from the first uh, opportunity I had to sit down at, with Crowbar and uh, have their record recorded over there at Folsom, Louisiana, and uh, listen to and watch uh, Kirk as he just came up with lyrics at the spur of the moment. And uh, you know, it was unbelievable. Uh, I've had some amazing experiences. Yeah, you're lucky. It was a, a good time. It's still a good time down in New Orleans with Goat Whore and all those guys down there. There's a, definitely a good metal scene still happening there. What was the uh, first... Con- oh, sorry? No, I just agreeing. Huge. <laughs> yeah. Massive. It's awesome. What uh, What was the first concert you ever went to see live? Oh, man. First concert I ever went to live was a Jan and Dean concert. <laughs> uh, oh. Yeah, my dad took us, and uh, I was probably seven or eight years old and uh, from Washington State there and uh, Jan and Dean came through man and got to hear them sing Dead Man's Curve and I was uh, hooked dude uh, the live music thing really uh, it's just uh, it, it drew me in man and I wanted to I wanted to do that and, uh, and then you know I mean obviously I've been on stage with Phil and Samo and Pantera and you know, singing the chorus to walk and and uh, you know, all the other great songs and uh, had opportunities with uh, so many other bands, and it, it's just uh, unbelievable. I've had some killer concerts that I've been able to to uh, check out throughout my life and be a part of. Um, you know, my buddies and punk rock bands in Southern California that were in the Aqua Bats, and uh, they had their little side bands. You know, when Travis Barker was still trembling with the Aqua Bats, and uh, before Blink 182 and all that crap. So, um, you know, it, it, it's been a fun ride to say the least. I mean, I worked security at, uh, in college. I was so huge, and so I saw a band under the sun going through San Diego. It was killer. I saw, got to work Tool when Tool was playing little, you know, Soma down in San Diego. I'm sure you know, and oh, yeah. and uh, a little little Tin Shack Soma, and uh, standing right in front of Maynard there, and uh, you know, smelling his stink, and and uh, you know, watching me try to keep these fans from climbing over the rail. You know, <laughs> it was uh, it's been awesome. So we always like to ask athletes, and they usually have the similar answer. So when you were in the locker room before or after the game, were you allowed to play any of the heavy stuff? Oh, I just had my headphones, and I never listened to a coach's pregame speech in my life, man. I put a towel over 
I put my headphones on, a towel over my head, and uh, I always had me a Dixie cup that uh, popped about uh, four ammonia caps in, and I just would sit there with that towel over my head and listen to my music. And uh, uh, there was no pregame speech anybody could give more than those bands in my ears and my headphones uh, to get me motivated. I mean, you know, I knew what to do. We practice hard. We you know have great coaches, and uh, it was a matter not of hearing some rah-rah speech. It was a matter of finding that deep inside within yourself uh, what would be able to get you to go out there and perform at your best. And uh, yeah, no coach or anybody saying anything did that more uh, potently uh, to me than uh, you know, Tom Araya or Phil Anselmo. Uh, you know, um, those guys were, um, you know, those words just echoed in my ears and during those games uh, so loudly that uh, I, I was the player who I was. I was one of the best in the game. It, do you, you know, you look at the NFL and, and it's funny because uh, Steve Sable just passed away and, and it was such a big part of the NFL was kind of that behind the scenes look in the locker room. Every week now, every team has kind of their coach's post-game speech on their website and you can you can see what, you know, what only the players got to experience. When you look at that, you kind of came in at a time when that wasn't happening to a time now where it's so omnipresent. What are you kind of your feelings on everybody getting that inside look into what, what you guys go through? Is that something that you're cool with or is that something that, you know, that's for the players and should only be that way? I, I actually, I wish I had it back when I was, because then I wouldn't be hearing the bullshit that I hear from all these people out there. We well, don't have enough Facebook friends or enough Twitter friends or enough this friends and that friends. And I'm just like, what? Yeah, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever, man. You know, these guys nowadays, I mean, hell, look at Reggie Bush's Twitter page. He's got like two and a half million followers. And, you know, people are giving me crap about having, you know, the few thousand that I got. And then uh, I'm touring the country trying to gain more. You know, it, it, I, I love it. I think it's great. I think it will allow all these guys in the league today. Because at the end of the day, it's entertainment. It's a sport. It's just a game. At the end of the day, they're going to all walk away at best. And uh, be able to, uh, you know, uh, have that to go into other areas of uh, employment, potentially. I mean, that, that alone has changed so much for the players of the National Football League for post-football careers. Uh, you know, it's, it's night and day. I mean, we didn't have that back when I was. So uh, there's a positive to that, I guess, in some ways, if, you know, you weren't a guy that really wanted to stay in the public eye. But, you know, the majority of guys really want to keep it going. And they, you know, want, they come out with uh, all kinds of different things. And you know, me and the guys in my era, guys like Joe Horn, you know, he's trying to sell his barbecue sauce out there. And, you know, they only got a few thousand followers on our Twitter accounts right now. You know, and these guys today, just because they play in the league nowadays, they all of a sudden, immediately, bam, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers, just based off of who you are and the team you play for. Um, so I, I think it's a I think it's a positive thing, and I think these uh, guys are going to benefit from it greatly. All right, well, give out your Twitter handle now, then. Yeah, it's at Kyle Turley, man. That's, That's easy. It. And fa same thing on Facebook? Uh, yeah, Kyle Turley. Just punch in Kyle Turley on the Google search, and uh, I'll be sitting at the top of uh, all of those searches, and uh, you can punch on any one of them, Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, et cetera. Nice. And now you have transitioned from NFL player to music star now. So tell us about uh, your band. 
Well, you know, I mean, I was always been into music, played guitar, played drums, and, uh, you know, I played drums in a death metal band. I was rehabbing injury in Arizona. Big shout out to my boys in PDM out there. And, uh, uh, you know, it was a great opportunity to uh, do that. And, and now I'm, I've taken it, moved to Nashville, and doing my own thing. And I'm older, and uh, I've got a lot of things to bitch about. And so, you know, good realm for that. Uh, the country music world and unfortunately uh, uh, I didn't like what I found here in Nashville with the country music world and uh, when I found out that they're still keeping guys like Hank Williams uh, out of the Grand Ole Opry and uh, you know it just seemed like all the old political BS from the NFL days were here in Nashville and so uh, I very fortunately met a, a gentleman uh, by the name of Hank Williams III at a down show backstage and uh, he gave me a great opportunity to go on tour with him my first record out and so you know, my sound is a developing sound and from uh, my first record to where I'm at now is night and day and I continue to try and fuse in those metal aspects into the country music that I'm trying to put out there and uh, you know, it's it's basically Southern rock, and that's what I play. You know, I, I have a great appreciation and love for the South, and uh, you know all the great things about it. And uh, 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 the, the country music I grew up on was real, from Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and Hank Williams. Uh, you know, those were the guys I grew up listening to as a kid. From my dad. And um, you know, bands like Skinner and Mountain were, were staples in my home. And then uh, the influences I grew up with, as we've already talked about, you know, just trying to blend it all together and do my own thing. Uh, I think that uh, you know, the music industry is too tainted with uh, uh, you know, people out there that are willing to sell their souls. And it's been a tough road. It's been four hard years and we're grinding this out. Um, and, uh, you know, but we're getting some traction and people are digging what I'm doing. So I know I'm going in the right direction. You know, and I, I was curious about that. A lot of times when we have athletes on, they, uh, they don't play music, and they're like, hey, that's what I'd love to do. You know, if I wasn't an athlete, I'd be a musician. And the same thing, you know, musicians, or if I wasn't a musician, I'd be an athlete. You've been lucky enough to be both at, at a very high level. And, and I'm just curious, which is more difficult for you? Uh, they both have their ways, man. I mean, you know, there's nothing that will ever compare to the National Football League. I mean, the physical aspects of it and the business aspects of it. Um, but again, those business aspects have helped me in many ways in the, in the music world to, to know what to look for and know what you know, it's BS or not, uh, when I sit down and meet with some of these people, you know, and I've had my opportunities to be in some big, big meetings with some big players. And, uh, you know, I know when they're, uh, you know, BSing me and trying to get me back into that, uh, uh big machine and, uh, you know, control everything. And, uh, you know, my lessons I learned from my days in National Football League prepared me for this music world uh, because it is a grind just as much as uh, football was. Um, very phys physically grinding. Uh, if uh, you you know put that upon yourself, which I do, I mean I drive my own tour bus and you know do my own merch and do my own designs, book my own shows, and uh, you know from uh, nuts to bolts, man. You know that's the way you got to do it if you want to make it, unless you want to just go in and do what all these people have asked me to do, and that's sit down with all their other writers and sing their songs. And unfortunately, I got some things to say uh, and uh, to them, and uh, hopefully, fortunately for uh, the people out there that I'm. Uh, uh, singing these songs about uh, and these stories that I'm telling uh, will get out to those uh, masses and uh, people will uh, uh, appreciate real music and uh, where it's coming from. 
Yeah, I think it's always better if you do things for yourself and do the music for yourself as opposed to, you know, doing other people's songs. I know that's a big thing down in Nashville, so. Huge. Unbelievable. But, uh, you know, I mean, it is what it is. I don't knock any artists. I won't call names or say anybody is uh, crappy or a horrible artist uh, because of that. You know, individuals make their choice. They do what they got to do. They got families to feed. A lot of people have been out here grinding this road, and they're not caught early. They played in the NFL and, you know, uh, already have a name to ride on. Uh, but that really doesn't, as I've learned the hard way, doesn't mean jack shit <laughs> and, uh, in the music world. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I have to battle that. It's a double-edged sword every day. You know, it's, uh, oh, really? Oh, he's singing music. Oh, great. I bet that's nice. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, it's uh, a good side to you in that when they come see a show uh, they listen to the music and they get online and check it out they see that it's real and that it's good and uh, you know good music's good music I'm a fan of all genres well yeah do you think that coming from the NFL and, and you know having the success you had there hinders you more than it helps you in, in the music world or, or vice versa it's been both, man, um, you know, to be honest with you. Uh, I can't say one way or the other, but it definitely has been both. Uh, I've had that at times, that it has just unbelievably hindered it and uh, to where it's helped it. You know, I've had opportunities to open up for Leonard Skinner in St. Louis because I played for the Rams, you know, and they liked that. And uh, they thought I'd bring a few more people to the, to the ticket, and, and we did, and it was an awesome show. You know, my opportunities in New Orleans to get in big festivals, uh, uh, you know, have been because of that as well uh but uh at the same time uh you know it's that preconceived notion this is a novelty deal and uh, just a flash in the pan and some other athlete trying to do music and you know, the reality is, is i've been a musician a lo lot longer than i've been a football player do you, do you find that when when you when you kind of do this and you go on the road you know, a, a lot of people talk about how, you know, every night you kind of have to be able to win people over and and do, you know, every night's a new night. Is in that way, it's very much like what you've done your whole career because you've gone into hostile places and, and you've had to either silence crowds or win them over. I mean, do you, do you feel like, I guess the question I'm asking is, were you more psychologically ready for the stage? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, playing in front of all those people, uh, you know, definitely got me used to, to doing that, uh, playing football. And uh, so putting in the music world, um, although, yeah, it's a lot more difficult. It's a lot easier to put a helmet on and pads and be around 11 other guys out there on the field and, you know, screw up a play uh, than being up there on a stage in front of maybe, you know, 100 or more people in a little bar, uh, you know, singing a song by yourself with a guitar and you fumble through it, you know. Um, and uh, you know, it's uh, the, those uh, those uh, you know, times when I went around here in Nashville uh, were very humbling to me uh, to get up on that stage in, in front of. Uh, I mean, it's it's much harder to get in front of five people than it is to get in front of five thousand, and uh, you, know, you got to have that you know, drive within yourself that uh, you you don't care. You're there, you're there because you're passionate about it. It doesn't matter. I mean, my motto, my band's motto, uh, we got it. Uh, I wrote it. It's on my bus wall. It's five or five thousand. It doesn't matter. And uh, we put the same show on. So, uh, you know, if you have that attitude, and you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's entertainment. You know, people are going to be entertained. You can only do as much as you can do, and give as much as you can give. And I, people know that been in my shows. I give a hundred percent, and uh, I'm there from the start to the finish. 
finish, and all the people that uh, come to their shows get an autograph and a picture taken. And, uh, you know, I learned that from the best. And watching guys like Hank Free play and sit up there for four hours and do their thing and do the same afterwards and take pictures and sign autographs with people. And uh, they don't have to pay for it, which I've been to those as well. So what does the future hold then for your music coming up? Uh, well, you know, continuing to uh, grind it out, man, and uh, looking to put those pieces of the puzzle together that are needed. You know, you know as well as anybody that that's necessary. You got to have a good team around you, and that's the association with sports. Uh, you can't do it alone. Uh, you have to have a, a great team around you of people. And uh, yeah, I'm just trying to put that team of uh, people around me that are passionate about what I'm doing. Um, just like I am. And they see it that this is something that is a long-term deal. It's not something that I'm looking to come in and try to sell a bunch of records because that doesn't happen for anybody anymore, no matter who you are. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, this is something I want to do the rest of my life. And no matter if I'm, you know, I mean, I, I've toured with Dave and Allen Co. here this year a lot. And uh, being at those shows and watching that man drive himself to his own shows, every one of them, and get up there and do that night in and night out has been unbelievably uh, impressionable upon me to, uh, you know, that I'm doing the right things. And so uh, the future uh, is, what it, is what it is, man. You know, they, they will take you when they want to, and uh, who knows what tomorrow will bring. Uh, I, I don't. Nobody does. And, uh, you know, I can only continue to grind this thing out and hope that the pieces of this puzzle come together. And uh, so far, they are. And, you know, it's taking time, but you know, there's that 10,000-hour model. And, uh, you know, the Beatles went by it and everybody else. And um, I've definitely uh, put that in. And so uh, I kind of feel I'm, I'm right there, you know, at that top, hopefully looking to... Uh, Work over the mountain and uh, get a at least get a bus driver. Shit, I'm so tired <laughs> of driving. <laughs> and well, at least you're saying all the right things because a lot of people in the music business don't say the right things or are looking for the wrong things. And you're doing it absolutely the right way. So, well, thank you. I mean, a lot comes from you, man. I really appreciate that. Hey, no problem. I want to get back to football for a second, if that's okay. I, one of the things that, you know, has kind of struck me in watching the game for, for a long time, we're, we're almost the same age. I'm a, unfortunately a little bit older, but one of the things that's kind of struck me is when, when you watch the game now, and, and you might have a good uh, perspective on this, because I know at the end of your career that there was thoughts about moving you to the tight end position. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, when, when you look at the game today and you see the way that the tight ends play, you know, some of the huge guys that they have play in that position now, like Gronkowski and New England and some of those other guys, the guy they have in uh, in, in uh, New Orleans now. Do you think that that's the biggest change in the game from when you played? Uh, yeah, definitely, and, and, and where they're the way they're using them. Uh, but but not but necessarily that's not due to uh, you know them just deciding to use those guys. A lot of rules have changed. Uh, the uh, over the middle rule as far as. Uh, you know, defenseless player catching the football has changed that position uh, more so than the athletes themselves. Uh, those guys are able to run across that, the middle of the field a lot easier nowadays than they are when they had to prepare for guys like Ronnie Lott. 
Um, and uh, so, you know, it's, it's uh, a lot of things that have uh, brought that position to where it is today. But, you know, guys that I've played with, like Tony Gonzalez, uh, you know, they're the, the ones that have pioneered that position. And, uh, you know, guys like Antonio Gates have just ridden on their coattails and, uh, um, you know, continued to uphold that tradition. And, um, you know, they're, uh, so again, it's, it's, a, it's a part, it's a two part thing in that the position itself has become more athletic. Um, it's not just a, a you know a, a half-assed offensive lineman anymore. It's a guy that uh, probably could play offensive tackle really well, um, but has a speed and agility uh, you know of uh, um, a wide receiver. And um, uh, you're seeing those guys out there having tremendous success and being able to get open. But you know, fitness and and training technology and all those other things to get guys bigger, faster, and stronger have also played a huge role. Yeah, how do you think, do you think that's like one of the main keys as to how di- different the NFL is today than when you played, or, or are there other things? No, I mean, football's football at the end of the day. I mean, you could take a team from, uh, you know, any era that was great and put them against uh, any team nowadays, and they would probably do really well because uh, it's uh, a lot more strategy and uh, knowing the game of football than it is, uh, you know, muscles and brawn. I mean, I played against plenty of guys that were jacked on steroids, and uh, that didn't make them a great football player. Um, and nowadays, you know, still, uh, you know, guys are more athletic uh, overall, um, uh, but uh, the game of football is still, uh, you know, the same. Uh, you, you've got to go out there and you've got to have guys that uh, cohese and come together. It takes all 11. You can't have a guy, you know, you can't be down there in, in New Orleans just one, you know, being Drew Brees and expect to put that whole team on your shoulders. He's doing it. He's finally doing it in the last two games, uh, you know, but uh, it's been a big struggle because uh, yeah, the rest of the team ha- has to perform. Uh, and it's not just one guy that can make it happen. What did you What did you think of the whole Bountygate thing? Well, it's uh, my take on it at this point. After everything is just kind of uh, uh, taking its course where it is today, uh, you know, whatever. At the end of the day, my my take on it is this: is that uh, it happened. There was individuals on that team. It's obviously you got coaches signed affidavits, sworn affidavits saying it happened. That certain players did, were involved. Uh, you know, in detail and financially and et cetera and whatnot. Uh, uh, but at the end of the day, what has happened here is a complete failure by the ownership and management of the New Orleans Saints football team. And that carried over from when I was there. You know, Tom Benson and uh, uh, Mickey Loomis, the general manager, um, they just, uh, they're bad business guys, man. They, they, as far as I'm concerned, because they don't care about the employees. Uh, they sold the players up the river big time. Um, you, you get warned twice by the top of your institution that you are umbrellaed under um, and to cease activity. And you don't have a team meeting and tell the people on your team if this continues that they will be fired and because it will harm the, the, the franchise, it will harm the team immensely. Uh, blows my mind still to this day. And uh, from everyone I've talked to, those meetings never took place. And the players really had no recollection or knowledge that they were ever warned that uh, they should stop participating in this. And whether you say that it happens on every team or not, you know, here, here or there, 
because the teams I played on, I can speak from personal experience, didn't happen in the offensive meeting rooms. Maybe that's what happens in defensive meeting rooms. I don't know. You know, we, we called those guys geraniums anyways. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they must need that motivation, I guess. Uh, as a failure on leadership, and uh, it all goes right to the top. And Mickey Loomis and Tom Benson failed that organization, and they failed the city of New Orleans and every Saints fan uh, around the world. So you th- why would you think that they wouldn't tell the players and the management about, about them being watched? Well, my personal take on it is that uh, Tom Benson's uh, – uh, paying back a favor that he got from the National Football League to move the team back to New Orleans after Katrina, where he was given a uh, million dollars by every owner in the National Football League to move the team back to New Orleans because he wanted to move them to San Antonio. Yep. And uh, the night before uh, the uh, commissioner came down to speak to the team, he had a team meeting and uh, told the team uh, that when uh, they were asked by the commissioner of where they wanted to live and where they wanted the team to be, that they were told by Tom Benson that they wanted to be in San Antonio. The commissioner came in, and the commissioner said, uh, whatever he had their meeting next day, another team meeting, Tom Benson comes in and says, we're moving back to New Orleans. Forget what I said yesterday, because he told everybody to go out and buy homes and put their houses in New Orleans up for sale and that they're never going back. The next day he came back, and the word out of that meeting came that every owner in the National Football League gave him a million dollars cash to move the team back to New Orleans. And personally, I believe the NFL needed something big to show that they are trying to crack down on this whole thing that uh, they, uh, uh, you know, are facing now with the lawsuits and, uh, and their failures to address injuries to players in the National Football League and deal with that. And uh, I feel that they needed something, and uh, they got what they wanted, two guys that would play ball, and Tom Benson and Mickey Loomis. You know, it's my personal take, but, you know, nobody will, nobody will uh, confirm that. And you know, I just know how crooked those individuals are. And uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, uh, I, nothing would surprise me. In general, you know, getting away from that particular situation, is, is you've played a few places in your NFL career. Is playing in, in New Orleans different than every place else? Yes. I mean, I played in St. Louis. I played in Kansas City. Uh, so I experienced two other football teams, two other cities, and there's nothing like New Orleans. There's nothing like the uh, Saints fans. I mean, around the country in general. And uh, But the state of Louisiana and New Orleans itself was just an unbelievable experience to me and uh, my family and everybody in between. And I still to this day, I mean, my dearest friends are in New Orleans and people I consider family. Uh, you know, my, my tour, I'm going back there this weekend. I'm touring all over, uh, playing a bunch of shows down there. And, uh, it's, uh, it's my second home. It always will be. I mean, I've got a bunch of tattoos on my body and the majority of them got Florida leaves in them. And there's a reason for that. And that's because of the city of New Orleans and the impact it had on me. Uh, there's nothing like it. Nothing ever will. And, um, you know, I mean, people that, are from there, uh, you know, they, they will tell you the same. People that have lived there at some point in time will tell you that as well. It's a very special place, very unique place. Awesome. Yeah, I love New Orleans. Well, dude, thank you so much for hanging out with us this month. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. I really, yeah, it's been fantastic. And the Jan and Dean answer is by far the best content answer we've ever gotten <laughs> in the history of uh, metal misconduct. That's the only, yeah, that's the only right, time man. I've heard that. 
Well, you know, it was, uh, that was it, man. You know, Dead Man's Curve, it uh, set me off. I remember listening to it on the tape and uh, uh, our tape player home, and then I got to go see him live, and that was it. I was hooked. I needed to be up on that stage at some point in my life. Sweet. Awesome. Well, you've done that now, which is awesome. So check out Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Turley on Facebook. And uh, I imagine there's a website, kyleturley.com. Yep, go kyleturley.com, and uh, you can get a free download of my song, We Ride. Um, uh, I've got a Twitter account, and uh, check out all my videos on YouTube. Um, i got a song called Fortune and Pain that uh, 100% of goes to the Gridiron Greats Assistance Fund that I work with Mike Dicka uh, to help out retired football players that don't have benefits that are nursing some bad situations right now. And uh, so, you know, check it out. Just punch in Kyle Turley on Google search and uh, follow along and hopefully we'll gain some fans out there and appreciate what I'm doing and uh, know that my uh, my intent is to, uh, as I I said in my email to you, brother, is to uh, uh, spear the metal blade into the country world and uh, I believe I'll get that done. I like it. I like it. Well, we'll tweet out all the uh, the links and stuff as well. So, and again, thanks so much for hanging out this month, man. It's been awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, man. Take care. You got it.